0: All right. well, I think we're live. Welcome to this special crossover episode. We're really excited because myself, Ryan, from the Go In The Distance podcast, and Craig from the Slycast, and Doug from Rocky Minute, we're all joining together today again for our monthly Stallone movie review. Today's vote, by almost a landslide, a pretty good margin, I think, (laughs) is Assassins, the 1995 film Assassins. Guys, how do you feel about this choice that the public picked?
1: We still have time to talk Rhinestone. I'm prepared for Rhinestone, so if you guys want to call an audible, I'm good.
2: I think Ryan paid off people to vote for Assassins.
0: Negative. I made sure that during the polls, I never said this was mine. I don't think I did. I was pretty careful not to contaminate the polls.
1: Ryan, I just want to go on record early and say that I hate you. Okay. Because until (laughs) yesterday when I rewatched this movie, I really, really liked Assassins. (laughs) <laughs> Which I hadn't watched in about fifteen years, so that's awesome. Okay,
0: so why don't we first talk about the first time you saw the film? So, Craig, you already
1: alluded to that. When's the first time you saw this film that you can remember? I don't recall seeing this in theaters for whatever reason. I think watching it for the first time on like probably VHS, probably when it came out on home video. I just I really don't have any, any memory of of sitting in a theater watching this one what about you? When's the first time you saw this that you can
2: remember? Oh, about 24 hours ago. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw Assassin's.
0: That's, hell- that's actually cool that one of us has seen it for the first time recently for this review because that's really mm. going to add to the discussion. Like you, Craig, I'm not sure if I saw this in the theaters. I probably did because I think every theatrical Stallone movie release I have seen since 1983. So wow. I-, I would assume – I'm not even joking – I would assume I saw this in the theaters, but I would say it's probably the last time I saw this, so it's been 23 years. What does that tell you? That it wasn't memorable <laughs> the first time. Yeah, it was so good the first time, I just wanted to hold on to that moment forever. You're the one that picked it. <laughs> because I think... I Hey, <laughs> yeah, look, I don't necessarily put this in the poll because I think it's a fantastic film. I remember thinking it was supposed to be a smart action movie, like an intelligent-type action movie. I remember thinking there was a couple scenes at the time in 1995 that seemed kind of unique, kind of different than the standard action fair that was in the mid-90s, which weren't very good films in the mid-90s for action films. So I don't know. I didn't walk away from the initial viewing of loathing the film, but obviously not enough that I ever bought it on DVD. I never bought it on VHS. I never saw it on cable again. That alone should have told me what my initial experience was.
1: Doug, did this feel like getting in a time machine and going back to 95? This was like the most 90s movie I can remember watching in recent memory. I mean, it screamed 1995. It was crazy to watch and be like, wow, this movie just really captured a year and a decade.
2: Yeah, I don't think a lot of 90s films especially age very well. Uh, this is no exception. Every, everything from Banderas's hair to <laughs> Stallone's pleated trousers.
1: <laughs> and just the whole Julianne Moore thing.
2: And Julianne Moore, yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: Let's first talk about who directed this film. I, you might Donner, find Richard Donner. Yeah, so Richard Donner of The Lethal Weapon fame and other action films. And he wasn't quite out of his prime yet as a director at this time, but he directed this film. Uh, he directed Superman, of course, the original. Uh, let's see what else he directed. He directed Goonies, Lethal Weapon, Lost Boys, Scrooge, Lethal Weapon 2, Lethal Weapon 3, Free Willy, Maverick, which was actually quite a fun film. And Maverick was this film that he directed with Mel Gibson and Jordy Foster the year before, and the next movie was Assassins. Yeah, he didn't so, direct Lost Boys. Oh, my apologies. That was just re- uh, Lost Boys. Yeah, sorry, a producer. Was, uh... Producer, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Joel that Schumacher was... directed. Yeah, him. don't take that away from Joel Schumacher. He needs, well, a... he needs whatever he can get. <laughs> Feather in his cap. So Richard Donner, of course, directed all of the Lethal weapons. His last movie was Oh Paul Walker, Time Something, Timeline in two thousand three. But yeah. two thousand six, he directed a movie called Sixteen Blocks.
1: Oh, with that was Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis. Bruce Willis and Mos Def. Yeah, Mos, is it Mos Def yeah. or Mos Def? Mo, he's Mos the Def. Most Def. Def? He's the Most Def. He's the Most Def. Yeah. He's mo, was it Most Definitely or He's the Most Hard
0: of Hearing?
2: You are so white. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs>
0: We have one Canadian rapper, and his name is Drake. Oh, yeah. He was on, uh, what's that? Degrassi. Can-
2: yeah. That- yep. is not he in a wheelchair or something like that?
0: That's yeah, sir. I think he was a wheelchair. Uh, I didn't know. Oh, he also directed a Conspiracy Theory with Mel Gibson. So he did a lot of Mel Gibson films. He's like a Mel Gibson director. So Assassins was directed by Richard Donner and produced by Joel Silver. Do You saw who wrote this thing?
1: Yeah, it was written by the Wachowskis. The- yeah, the Wachowskis. A page one rewrite by uh, Brian Egeland, who was a pretty active guy in the, in the 90s if you needed a, a script polished up. The
0: Wachowski sisters now?
1: Yeah, the Matrix. Yeah, yep. yeah the
2: Matrix. they were the brothers at the mat- time of the Matrix, but they, they're both transgender females now.
1: Yeah. I thought it was one of them. Of them, them? Like, yeah, so it was. Yeah. And then the other one, like two years later, was like, you know what, I'm going to get on that train too. And, you know, I so, love them. They're living their life. They are living their life. Life choices aside, their movies have not done well lately. Rightfully so. It's They've made utter trash. I mean, that first Matrix is sort of lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. I don't have much good things to say about the other two Matrix sequels. I never bothered seeing Speed Racer. And that movie with Tom Hanks in prosthetics makeup, I never seen either.
0: Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, (laughs) Speed Racer. Now they did kind of get some little bit of cred and uh, respect back
1: when they did that Sense Eight series on oh, for uh, Netflix. Yeah, yeah, that's got a big following.
2: Didn't they try to back out of this after the rewrite?
1: Yeah, well, that's that's, that's, that's what point. I read. Yeah, the claim
0: was is that Brian Helg, how do you say his name? Hel- Helgland, Heveland. The Wachowskis stated that their script was totally rewritten by Brian and that they tried to remove their names from the film but failed to do so. I'm sure they still took the paycheck. It's oh, yeah, it's weird. So, I wondered when I was watching this, did you guys try to get any kind of feeling of where the Wachowskis might have had influence in the movie itself? All the violence, <laughs> which I don't
2: think is even that much. Seriously.
1: Well, it's not gratuitous violence, but there's right. a lot of mayhem. And mm-hmm. I'd also probably say the Julianne Moore character, Electra, is probably very much them. They, even in the Matrix, they were writing really strong, for lack of a better word, female characters. That I wouldn't really consider. Electra, a strong female character in this, but she's at least well-written. Why the name Electra? It's like a cyber name. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's how... In 1995, <laughs> man, the internet was like this big mysterious thing that the general public didn't really understand.
0: We're going to get into some of that stuff as we talk about the film. I just want to make sure we get who wrote this thing. So this guy, Helgland, he wrote on big pieces, so though. He wrote L.A. Confidential. That's huge. He wrote um, one of
1: the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Part four. Yeah. The dream yeah. master. Yeah. That Parker movie uh, that Mel Gibson did. Payback.
0: Yeah. It's oh. another Mel Gibson production. He also wrote mystic river. Oh, wow. Blood yeah, work. He's
3: legit.
2: That's a good one.
0: Man on fire. That's a great one. The taken to Pelham. One, two, three green zone. The 2010 Robin hood. Wait, hold
1: on. Which one was that? Was that the one with Russell Crowe? Yeah. Okay. I lose track of those sometimes. And of course the Knight's tale. That was a great movie. Did you guys remember that one? Oh, yes. It was. It had, like, the rock soundtrack, but it was medieval. Right. Oh, That's I remember really
0: cool. the exploding jousting sticks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he also wrote Legend with Tom Hardy. The people behind this film, so I want to set this up, and the reason why I think this is important, because I think... Well, Joel Simone, Silver
1: produced it, right?
0: Yeah, so it's a Joel Silver production, directed by... So if you saw this on a marquee, directed by Richard Donner, and this is 1995, and so... Well, actually, the, it doesn't even matter what the year. I think if we saw this marquee set up at any point right now even if you just happen to see richard donner joel silver production screenplay by the wachowskis brian Helgeland writing and then starring stallone and banderas and Julian moore you'd be like whoa we may have something here we just may have something here do we have something here <laughs> you've
1: got a movie that cost 50 million dollars to make yeah it cost 50 million to make
0: this was 1995 I don't have the adjustment in front of me. We can work on that later. But box office worldwide of 83. So it made $33 million if it didn't cost
1: any more for, what do you call it, advertising, what have you. I was really surprised when I saw that budget number because you don't really see that on the screen, right? No, I didn't see it anywhere on the screen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know what Stallone was getting paid in 1995. I mean, he wasn't getting $20 million a picture anymore. That's for sure. Was this the point in his career where he was like slipping? Oh, we lost uh, Doug. And then my earphone popped out, so I couldn't hear
0: you. So Doug's already quit. He's had enough. <laughs> I was wondering why he was silent. I was like, what? where did Doug go? I saw his image disappear, and I was like, oh. This is it, folks. This is what happens when we're live. You know, things can happen. So if people are actually watching live, we've got a few people watching. This is, again, just a live recording. It isn't the final product. The final product will be on our podcast. Respect the podcast. I'm just going to tell Doug to come back, please. <laughs> we, we sure could use him. Maybe his wife told him to get off the internet. <laughs> 1995 30 million it's a pretty healthy budget it's probably healthy but not too crazy because there's no cgi very simple sets i think they probably spent more money on travel than anything else
1: yeah yeah and and stallone definitely wasn't getting 20 million a picture anymore where was he in his career at this point well what he was coming off of was it judge dread uh, i think judge Dredd was 95 as well
0: and i think yeah. the specialist was 94 yeah two years before or two or three years before Copland when he tried to redeem his career.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. He did daylight uh, directly after this. Right. Um, and judge dread directly before it. So he was coming off of that cliffhanger demolition man specialist one, two, three punch. And then judge dread, which I mean, we haven't talked about judge dread yet. That is going to be the next Slycast discussion. discussion. Um, All right. Nice. So I think judge dread is a marker in his career that really sort of spelled the beginning of the end.
0: Well, yeah, if you go in order here, he did Stop My Mom Will Shoot, which was a complete disaster, and that's probably going to be a, one we're going to throw in the poll for one of these. But then 93 was Cliffhanger, which was a, considered a great film, of course.
1: I would say that's probably the peak of his earning power. Yeah. And then I think there was a pretty steep drop-off.
0: Well, Demolition Man did well. I remember that kind of being a fun... The critics might not... It wasn't a critical darling.
1: yeah. That also had a Taco Bell tie-in, so, I mean, that was a commercial film.
0: Then The Specialist, as we've talked about, go back and listen to that episode, people, if you haven't already, our Specialist review speaks for itself. And then, I think it was The Specialist and Judge Dredd and Assassins. Those three in a row really kind of started to affect his star power, I would say, a little bit.
1: Yeah. The weird thing is, I don't really remember a lot of the marketing for Assassins. It almost feels like Assassins was more of hey, we've got this young up and comer Antonio Banderas in our movie, who had a really, really active 1995. I don't know when the guy slept.
0: It's crazy amount of filming. Judge Dread, Assassins, and Daylight, all with two year period. And sorry, the Specialists, Judge Dread, Assassins, and Daylight, two years, all two years, four movies. That's a lot of work.
1: Look at Antonio Banderas in 1995 alone. Miami Rhapsody, Desperado, Four Rooms, Assassins, and Never Talk to Strangers, and Too Much. I mean, that's it's a lot of filming. He was definitely going after it. You know, he kind of hit with Desperado, I guess, and he took the ball and ran with it.
0: So, Doug, we're just talking about Stallone's career at this time that it started to kind of slip a little bit because I remember when Copland came out in 97, it was kind of a redemption film, and we'll talk about this as we right. talk about other films after Copland, but the dip that he took after Copland was even worse than the mid-'90s. His 2000s were horrible. Get Carter, Driven, Avenging Angelo, <laughs> Detox, <laughs> Shade. <laughs>
2: He was still considered a big action star at this point, right?
1: Well, yeah, we, we, we were kind of thinking, Doug, that this is the point right after his peak sort of earning power. This was the start of the, mm-hmm. the beginning of the end for the box office powerhouse that was Sylvester Stallone.
2: What was the next project he did after this?
1: Daylight. Daylight was after this. I would And say Judge that Dredd that was, was right before it. Right, okay. Yeah,
2: I, I would have to agree then. And then Copland was supposed to be his, his rebound, and it wasn't.
0: And then the rebound that he missed, the 2000s were...
1: <laughs> I got to tell you this. It's amazing that we're actually talking about Sylvester Stallone in 2018 because he survived that straight-to-DVD purgatory, thankfully, because I'm not sure that we'd be talking about him right now if he didn't make it out of the that early 2000s. If he wasn't able to make Rocky Balboa,
2: I'm just looking through his 2000 stuff. You know, you guys were thought it was funny that I never saw this, but uh, I saw Get Carter. All I saw up until Rocky Balboa.
0: So there's a lot of movies you haven't seen of his career that we'll probably cover for first time on this show. Probably. Four viewers want to hear our thoughts on this movie. What's about? How <laughs> it goes? So at the very beginning, we have this Godfather-esque type in a marsh, some sort of marsh. Where, for the record, Stallone's name for this movie is another great name.
1: (laughs) Well, thankfully, it's not his given name, we (laughs) learned. Robert Rath. Any thoughts on the name? It's it's a name. I'm sure that's one name that the Wachowskis don't want to take credit for. Is this his real name? I know Robert wasn't his real name. I
0: forget the real name of the game at the end of the movie. Does anyone remember? Joseph. Was it Joseph
2: Rath? I don't know, but... No, actually, I think it was Joseph Bumowski making this part of the stuff <laughs> where my mom will shoot universe. Oh wow,
1: that's deep, man. <laughs> <coughs> oh, easy. Oh. You're gonna lose, Craig. Oh man, <laughs> it, you just made this me getting up to watch, to talk this movie worth it.
0: <laughs> so his name is Robert Rath. We find out this is his this is his assassin's name. <laughs> this is his calling card. Seen him. What? Like, why would you name yourself Wrath? He's, he's the most calm, monotone person named Wrath I could have ever imagined.
2: If you remember that when we did The Specialist, I went over his list of names, for <laughs> his character names from the 1990s. And this was certainly one of the more <laughs> goofy ones. Well, what's stupid about it,
0: among a few things, is that Wrath is even spelled properly. It's R-A-T-H. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like Wrath, but it's not truly Wrath.
2: That, that's not a last name.
0: No, it, it'd be like calling him uh, Robert Killer, but there was no <laughs> E in the right? Killer. <laughs> we don't want to quite spell
1: it. You don't want to make it too obvious that we're saying the word Wrath. Actually, Wrath is a last name, uh, Doug. It is it's got origins in uh, German and Jewish. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so I guess calling so that one time you're proven wrong today.
0: Well, his name in <laughs> not Spike, <the> last. <laughs> His name in Spike. His three was Toymaker. Yes. I mean, that's obvious. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you guys think of this opening sequence where Robert Rath is leading out to pasture a fellow, I guess, a fellow
1: assassin? Yeah, this was another one of those movie tropes that was really popular. Probably, I don't remember when The Professional came out. But, like, movie, like, assassins were a big deal for a while. Like, the whole idea of, like, a professional hitman or assassin, you know, it kind of created this sort of romanticized it. The fact that it's it's two hitmen together and the guy asks for a clean kill and stuff like that. There's no basis in reality there, right? No, there is not.
0: <laughs> so who was this guy to Robert Rath? They were they co-workers he said something to the fact like you know you've killed people too or you're no better than me type. like they got one assassin speaking to another assassin about the moral of their job, the morality of their job. So I guess this new assassin is, is now a mark for Robert Rath as so the marks are referred to the hits that these guys are assigned to kill for whoever hires them. So I guess Robert Rath has been given the assignment to kill another assassin. And they've known each other from their past assassin work. What's this supposed to illustrate, though? That he's a hitman?
2: I I know. But he's a horrible one because he makes the guy kill himself. Is it showing that he's like a good guy hitman because he did what the guy asked him to do?
1: The hitman with the heart of gold?
2: Yeah. I don't don't understand this
1: opening. Okay.
0: Can I just say for the record, right off the bat, why is this movie so confusing? I... (laughs)
1: I think you nailed it when you said, Ryan, that this was supposed to be like the smart, intelligent movie or whatever. And I mean, I think that's the thing. I think when your intention is to make something smart or intelligent, sometimes you outsmart yourself.
0: You're right, Craig. And I think uh, you said it best when he said it's, a, it's an assassin with a heart of gold. Because Stallone in this part of his career is still kind of a good guy. For us as an audience to be able to wrap our brain around, our viewing brain that Stallone is playing – Really, an amoralistic character. This guy's hired to kill people. It's assumed or insinuated that he's killed men, women in his career. Yeah, he's had
1: what a career that's over fifteen years, right? At least
0: Mm -hmm. we see the very beginning of the film. We see what we learn later in the film that he was given uh, the assignment to (laughs) to kill (sighs) a friend who's also an assassin. For those who haven't seen the film, the probably only way no 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 (laughs) my plea is for us to be able to get through this discussion. This is a hard one to get through. You ha- I think people are going to have to have seen the film because describing and trying to explain what's going
1: on is insane. I don't yeah.
2: understand.
1: Ryan, just- you're a pro wrestling I- fan, right? Yeah. Doug, are, are you at all interested or a fan of pro wrestling?
2: I used to be. Okay. not Not so much these days.
1: If you watch this movie and think that they were running from the pro wrestling guide to writing handbook, the movie makes a lot more sense because mm-hmm. you've got your tip, typical face stuff going on you got your chicken shit heel. you've got the big turn that makes no sense at the end of the movie when i started thinking of this as like a just a pro wrestling movie it worked a lot more for me or at least made it a lot more bearable
2: <laughs> very convoluted plot though it's like what the, when he gets the contract to kill Electra. There's this MacGuffin, this disc that never has any damn payoff anyway.
1: I'm going to wow. do a, a shout out right now to uh sicko who loves our, uh, the way we jump around our movie. So see, sicko, oh. this plot jump is for you.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> He's always corrected me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now we get to see Robert Rath in his home on a very high tech computer. He
1: graduated from the tech he had in the, the specialist, at least.
0: Yeah, so this is like a little laptop. And so here's my phone for example. little. <laughs> it's amazing that we have the power that we have in our phones right now because we're seeing in this movie 95. It's like a little laptop, and the length of time it takes for a text message to get sent and to receive. As we see later in the film, when they send pictures via the internet, it's like, dook, 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 dook. it's really amazing you could send pictures to somebody in 1995, and to watch okay. it in 2018, it just does not age well.
2: It's Wi-Fi capabilities. He's communicating in the car with it. That's incredible. Yeah, you,
0: how did he do that in 1995? He's like chatting on his laptop. I didn't know we could do cell covers like that back then with laptops.
2: Did you get the model number, the product, the Apple PowerBook 540c?
0: Oh, is that what oh, he was really? using? yeah did you get the specs uh, on that
2: yep apple macintosh powerbook 540c features a 33 megahertz something processor four megabyte or 12 megabytes of ram and a oh, wow. 320 megabyte or 500 megabyte hard drive in a sleek portable case with a nine and a half inch color active matrix display
3: now we're going to look at three new notebook computers and we'll start with the apple powerbook 540c and this is charlie Tritschler of apple who's going to show it to us this is top-of-the-line PowerBook from Apple. What it would give us some of the basic features on it,
0: Charlie? The other nice feature I want you to show me is you can, in fact, do wireless messaging here with your
2: PCMcia slot, can't you?
3: Exactly. Uh, with PCMcia, we've created the Apple Mobile Message System, uh, which allows you to take a pager card from Socket Corporation. Uh, and this is really the centerpiece of the technology—the hardware. So that's a pager on its own. I could be carrying that inside my jacket pocket. Exactly. Right now. See the screen up top, and, and it the says I have in fact a new message. And then I could stick it inside my powerbook. Why don't you do that? When you drop it in, the way the computer integrates it, it takes a look at the card, so the computer is always checking to see what's on the card and what's available. Once it sees the card, it takes the information off the card and then pulls it into the computer to display Mm -hmm. it to you. And it's not just paging. For instance, if I'd sent you an appointment, uh, maybe to meet somebody at a certain time at a certain place, it can see that it's an appointment bring that data in, and then display it up on the screen, um, automatically launching your calendar, automatically creating that file. Okay, so stick, sticking right the card in there does stuff on its own, and it will go into my calendar and actually put, exactly. put in the information. Exactly.
1: Yeah, so that probably wow. wasn't a cheap laptop in 1995, which I, I wanted to sort of say at least, and, and I hate continually going back to the specialist, but I guess they're both guys that killed people for money. But you didn't really get any indication of, why this guy was an assassin because he wasn't living a a flashy extravagant life you don't really get any idea of his wealth and aside from those flashbacks to killing his friend or his mentor you don't really even get to know this character at all
2: no there's no background on him (laughs)
1: whatsoever but i mean you don't even really get to see how he's living
2: if he did go from being a heartless hitman to a good guy what caused the transition there's none of that (laughs)
1: He gets his first
0: contact or contract that we see in this film for the billionaire, they're supposed to kill for whatever parent reason at the funeral. We go to the funeral, this billionaire is in a wheelchair, whatever his reasons were for the kill, doesn't matter. He was just some sort of I can't remember the reasons. The person who hired Robert Rath to kill the billionaire had their reasons. Robert Rath is saying this is his last one and he's out of the game or whatever. Yeah. Wait,
1: that's the one he gets offered, what, 200. two hundred million or two hundred thousand
2: dollars. Yeah. All right. yeah. And, he's gonna retire on two hundred grand. <laughs>
1: Why is it every Stallone movie he's retiring? For whatever <laughs> It's just such a it's just such a lazy, you know, writing cliche. The hitman with the heart of gold who's just gonna do one more job before he hangs it up. I wish Jeff Ferry was here to dismantle the amount of weak writing that's going on here. Oh well, yeah.
0: We also find out during this funeral that Antonio Banderas, Miguel his character, he's been hired also to kill this billionaire. And actually, he does the killing. Unbeknownst to Robert Rath, this guy gets snipered, silent sniper from a distance by Miguel Antonio Banderas's character. Stallone, Robert Rath's character, turns around, and he's holding a gun in a big arm cap. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> this is an awesome scene. I got to say that this scene has a lot going for it. You've got the mocked-up cast with the hole for the gun, and you get Antonio Manderas, who I think if Donner had let him pump the gas a little bit more, we would have gotten a really, really great James Woods-level performance. He yeah, would have yeah, he would yeah. have James Woods' movie, but mm-hmm. it feels like Banderas was just pulled in just a little too much. He was a way
2: over the top. It was, <laughs> I, it was like, goofy. I, I, did, I hated his character. I really did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I it's agree like one of the only highlights for me was was, no. was Banderas. Oh,
0: no, terrible. he irritated me. He irritated me. And the first thing I wrote about him was Antonio's hair. laugh. No, his laugh and the sound effects.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 wow you really look like
2: i'm doing that
0: this is stuff you get when you watch this watch this on camera ryan's impersonations continue
1: now doug now doug you have some experience here possibly or at least some some knowledge the police response here is incredibly quick was there some kind of police escort maybe for this billionaire or it seemed like the cops arrived immediately
2: yeah they had to be this guy was he a mobster or something like that if there's a high-profile funeral, uh,
1: oh, cops usually
2: yeah. are close by.
0: Fair enough. So, okay. yeah.
2: so the yeah. So the police response, not as surprising to me. I mean, the <laughs> fact that they got Banderas was surprising to me. You, well, that's the other that, thing.
1: I mean, if you have that, that expectation of a police presence, why be as brazen as Banderas was? Or are they showing his inexperience as an assassin as opposed to Robert Rath's mm-hmm. sly, pun intended, attempt at concealing his gun
2: i thought miguel had a good setup he was posing as like a grave digger he just wheels wheels his way through blows the guy away and then carries on i thought his setup was better than stallone's in that damn cast
0: <laughs> <laughs> why the cast it would have been less obvious just to have a gun in his hand
1: well because you don't the hand either right most times when somebody's hands in it, arms in yeah. a cast you see their fingers sticking out Right, not
2: just like a stump.
1: <laughs> or a <cannon. laughs> with, the,
2: with the piece of tape on the edge of it <laughs> to cover up the hole.
1: <laughs> you know, he was so proud of that little detail. <laughs> I loved
2: even more is when the fireworks started, he tried to tape the hole back up, but then the tape kept flapping off <laughs> when he was running.
0: I wonder if there's a part of Stallone when he put that cast on where he, did he go, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure about this. Or did they go, no, this is good. We're good to go. This is incognito. This get up right here. I almost feel like that's a a move
1: he had used before.
2: I know this might be nitpicking. He's got a handgun in there. And the way the cast is, it's down, especially at a distance to get an accurate shot. You have to get a sight picture with his arm in a cast. He's shooting from the hip. Basically, he's a trained assassin. No, I don't care. There's no way
0: he's a trained. Don't you question Robert Rath and his ability? He's an assassin for 15 years. This is what he's been doing nonstop. He knows how to shoot from the hip. Come on. (laughs) How dare you? By the way, Craig, uh, Stallone <laughs> was paid $15 million for this film. So on a $30 million budget, half of it went to Stallone's paycheck. Hey, good for him. Yeah. Hey, get it while you other, can,
2: right? Every single gun in this movie has a silencer.
0: <laughs> Except for the one cop shot at the beginning of the funeral scene.
2: Yeah, that's... Uh,
0: that's uh, like another 90s thing, though, yes. right?
1: Yeah. silencer?
2: hmm Yeah. And silencers... And- are a myth anyway. They don't suppress the sound of the shot. That much? They suppress the report, which is the explosion. The slide recoiling makes a loud sound. The bullet expelling out of the muzzle is still going to make a sound. It's just not going to be that loud pop.
0: I would assume the silence method in movies is probably exaggerated.
2: Mm -hmm. I can't recall how suppressed it is, but you know in a lot of other movies when they do the silencer, it sounds like this. boom, And that's it. (laughs) Yeah, this is like...
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like yeah. Adam lector.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
0: The never ran with Ryan,
2: or it sounds like Miguel Bean. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I think now that we've introduced Miguel, how is he so acutely aware of Robert Rath's history, down to even the details surrounding Rath taking out his friend? It just seems to me like that's not history that gets recorded or at least the <laughs> official version doesn't get recorded. You this know? is
0: what I'm getting at. This whole <laughs> assassins club. It doesn't make sense. We have yeah. the beginning of the film. He's killing a fellow assassin. We've got assassins for hire getting hired by the same guy. Spoiler alert. Who happens to be the guy that Robert Rath was supposed to kill at the beginning of the film. He's hiring all the assassins to make everyone fight everybody. It's just like this Assassin's Club, but then you have, like you said, the School of Assassins. There should be a prequel. Like, Miguel was studying Robert Rath. Like, where does he look him up? As we can see, there's no internet back there. It's horrible. Where does he get this research? It goes to the library, A for assassins. What has Robert Rath done in the 1980s?
2: If you're an assassin and your identity is known, then you're not doing a good job. Exactly. And he's his
1: favorite. Miguel worships Robert Rath. This is his hero. It's a personal hero of his. He's like the Ric Flair of the movie because Miguel even says to be the best, you got to beat the best.
0: Yeah. So where did you study assassins in 1995? I don't know. But he did. He studied and he looked up to Robert Rath and wanted to be him. They both saw each other at the funeral. Did Miguel know that was Robert Rath? Well, no, I don't don't know.
2: He didn't recognize him until he was in a taxi because he was talking to him.
0: So now we know there is a little bit of subterfuge when it comes to studying assassins. You may be able to study their work and their methods and their and their deeds, but you don't know what they look like. They're still secret identities.
2: All right, that makes sense. <laughs>
1: Craig, oh <my> <laughs> Craig, you seem a little you seem a little nonplussed there, Craig. It's still early here on the on the West Coast, so my brain is trying to process some absurdity, and it. I just finished my coffee, so it might kick in.
0: Miguel gets arrested by the cops. The cops come in. They actually subdue the shooter. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, cops, without shooting him. That's pretty good. He's got a gun in his hand. Yeah. And they subdue him. They arrest him. Oh, uh, I forgot
1: this bullshit.
0: Yeah, well, here we go. So they're in the cop car, and we have the classic. <laughs> it doesn't make dis- any sense. <laughs> he dislocated his thumb in the back seat. At what point are you able to slip handcuffs off? Doug, you're a police officer. How many people have you arrested that have escaped your vehicle due to dislocating their thumbs in handcuffs?
2: Well, there's a couple of problems here. One, well, to answer your question, zero. I've had females specifically slip out of handcuffs because if you don't put them on tight enough, they're able to to squirrel their hand out. But dislocating your thumb like that, I don't think would
1: work. Because your thumb still has to go somewhere, right? I mean, even if it's dislocated, where does it go?
2: Even if you dislocate your thumb, you're the meat of your hand is still wider than your wrist. If the cops put the cuffs on as they should tight enough, there's no way to work your hand out of there. He dislocates his thumb and he snaps the cop's neck
1: that's driving. <laughs>
0: that's another bullshit oh, 1990s yeah.
1: thing where you just instantly
0: neck snap. He grabs the guy's <laughs> you know, side of his face. He just turns his head.
2: <laughs> is that This is after he kicks the window out, right? Right. Which hold on, let me talk about kicking the window out. Please. Car windows don't break like that. You think? I know. <laughs> because I've had prisoners in the back of my patrol car I'm um, kicking the window. And the most they're gonna do is push the window off its track. It's not gonna shatter like that. And it takes a good ten kicks to strong kicks to do that. It doesn't happen right away. So he like one kick, blows the window out like it's a piece of paper. Is it a reaches? He reaches, <laughs> he reaches, out of the car window into the driver's seat and breaks the cop's neck. That's- He's an
0: assassin. Only assassins know how to break a neck with one fell swoop with their hand. Like fell swoop. Like, like he literally just, he grabs his head. And, live on camera. I'm going to break my neck for the audience. <laughs> Wait, I just broke how my neck. What I liked about this is th- there's a female cop that he killed too. It's like, oh, okay, equal rights. You know, he, yeah. he made no bones about it. And he kills these two cops driving to his car that's flipped over. So he shoots them dead on, a moving vehicle, cop mm-hmm. dead, cop dead, right through the window. So, Doug, again, wh- what kind of marksman do you have to be? Moving vehicle coming towards you. You're upside down in a crashed car, mm-hmm. and you're able to shoot both the passenger and the cop in one shot each.
2: Well, he was on the ground in a prone position, so okay. as long as if he could see over the hood, I guess it depends on how far away they are, but I would still say it's unlikely, probably not impossible, but he, I mean, it was very quick, very quick. He killed the first one, killed the second one. Like you can train your sights on one, knock them down, but then you'd have to retrain your sights. Not like bam, bam. I mean, that's not the most unbelievable thing about this part. So I'll forgive that one.
0: What's the most unbelievable part?
2: The next snap. The
0: handcuffs. Oh, okay. the kick oh yeah. The window <laughs> true. all true the taxi cab pickup scene. Can someone please explain how Robert Rath was able to correlate taking a cab and somehow assuming that Miguel would take a plane to another country or out of the city and that Miguel would call the cab company that Robert Rath stole a cab from and then become the fair that Robert, okay, I,
1: Man. And Miguel a, even tries yeah. to, you know, explain yeah. what a great idea it is. It, it almost highlights how absurd it is even more.
0: Did anyone else catch the absurdity of the
2: taxi cab pickup? I hated this part. This annoyed me so much. <laughs> just just the one in a million <laughs> shot that you have to be with the right, like you said, the right cab company that Miguel calls. No names of customers. It's just some guy looking to go to the airport. Oh, that must be him.
0: Uh, yes. Nobody ever calls a cat for an
1: airport ride. Right. Like this is right. this is so unique. But the fact that Miguel thinks it's a good play makes me doubt either one of them being competent at anything.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Right. 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 Lo and behold, he picks up Miguel. Miguel doesn't physically recognize Robert Rath in the front seat, even though they saw each other from a distance, or they were like. The cop car was beside Robert Rouse's when he was arrested. They looked at each other briefly. Robert Rouse's head is to the back of Miguel's head. Fair enough.
1: And he's How not expecting it? him to be the cab driver. Well, Even though, as a trained assassin, I'd like to think that I'd be constantly hyper-aware of my surroundings.
0: Yeah, that's the amazing thing here, is that Miguel actually, rightfully so, wouldn't expect to be picked up by the very assassin that he was in competition with and has admired for years. Why would he? Why would he? So that, at least that makes sense, that he would be completely. And I always love it when, when you have in this movie, another movie trope, Craig, is when you have a scene where somebody's supposed to drive somebody somewhere and they don't do the proper turn to the airport or whatever. Hey, hey, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> you missed our turn, man. Where are you going? <laughs> and Rob Rouse like, get out of the car. Get out of my car. I'm done. I don't want to drive you no more. And
1: Miguel's Very like. smart. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what was his endgame? He was going to wait for him to start walking away and then shoot him?
1: Yeah, because he couldn't shoot through the glass because it's bulletproof.
2: Oh my god.
1: What <laughs> I love about this sequence is that this
0: glass in the cab is assassin bulletproof, but the cop car side window he could kick through.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, right.
1: Exactly. Like, when the it was started- a brand new taxi though, so it could have had the most state-of-the-art plexiglass. <laughs> okay.
0: When they did have their little (laughs) confrontation with each other, when they realized who the other person was, of course, and they're pointing guns at each other, and they mentioned, oh, bulletproof glass, aren't you clever? There was a scene where Antonio Banderas, it's not even that bad of a scene, actually, but he shoots the window. I actually kind of like this one good scene so far where he said, well, I had to try.
2: (laughs) I had to try. I mean, who knows?
0: Maybe it wasn't made in America. That wasn't bad. No. (laughs) All right.
2: You know, I guess (laughs) if you want to look for a silver lining. Sure.
1: (laughs) Is this a worse movie than the specialist? Yeah, I would say so. The runtime of this movie. When I sat down to watch this. (laughs) Yes. I was like, oh, it's going to be, you know, 95 minutes, hour 40 tops. And then I saw that it was over two hours long. And I said, oh, what am I about to sit down for? Because I didn't remember this being a two hour plus movie. Yeah, they were two
2: hours back in the day. We're back then.
1: (laughs)
0: No, this is a very ambitious film for 1995. (laughs) It's a two-hour, 15-minute movie. That's crazy. I saw that runtime too, Craig, and I'm like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh. But the other thing is it wastes, and a lot of movies do this. This is an exclusive to Assassins. But a lot of movies load up first third of the movie, and then they realize, oh, shit, we wasted so much time in the first third that we got to rush to the end. How long into the movie is it before we get the whole Dutchman and Julianne Moore plot. And I mean, that's really the plot of the movie. So it takes them forever to get there to build, I guess, this, you know, there's just so much wasted shit in the first 40 minutes of this movie.
2: I have a problem with that because like you said, they load the first, we'll call it the first act, but the first act is supposed to be like your world building where you're setting up characters, you're setting up the plot, but it doesn't do that. <laughs> it doesn't do any of that. We don't know what the hell's going on so far.
0: I'm legit confused about this movie and what's happening, but we do know the next contract. So the billionaire is now dead. So Robert Rath Mm -hmm. talks to his employer, whoever this anonymous employer who keeps saying, that's no way to talk to a lady, I guess to fool Robert Rath that he's actually being hired by a female and not a male because big plot twist at the end. So we get the next contract hit. It's going to be of course, Julianne Moore's character, Electra, her internet logo. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) she's anonymous i love how she too is an anonymous trade dealer insider trade or she's an early computer hacker who offers trade secrets to the dutch i okay what is she doing what is it she's doing she's gathering information and what information is she gathering what is this information providing did we ever get that
1: it's 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 a list of names or something
2: what
0: what I love how they called it an internet logo, which is in today's terms is called an avatar.
2: avatar, yes.
0: But back in 1995, the term avatar didn't exist. So it's kind of cute and adorable what they would have called an avatar in 1995. They called it an internet logo, which happened to be two green cat's eyes because she's a cat lady.
1: She's a bonkers cat lady. She's actually the, the most deplorable person in this film, in my opinion. She's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the core problem of this movie is – You've got Robert Rath, who isn't really defined enough to like or dislike, but you Mm -hmm. should dislike him out of the gate because he's an assassin. Antonio Banderas, just because of the amount of senseless killing he does. And then Electra, because she's just, she's spying on her neighbors. She's hacking. I mean, there's no, there's nobody to like in this movie.
0: Yeah, she's not a likable character. And the only reason, we'll cut it right down to the chaser. The only reason why Robert
2: Rath doesn't kill her is because she's hot. But even though, like, I, I think she's as far as a female lead. What an awful miscasting! I mean, she Julianne Moore, she, she's a pretty lady.
0: Before you get there, what I meant to yeah. the, say when I say that she's hot, I'm saying within this film, Robert mm-hmm. Rath finds her attractive. The, the character was three, a 300 pound woman from Walmart. Oh yeah, she yeah. would have she would have been I dead in the living dead. room. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the other problem with the hitman movies is, in Robert Rath's 15 plus year career, he had to have run into attractive women that he was tasked with killing maybe not maybe this is the first cute one
2: no 350 pound woman would have the email address meow at comcast.cat
0: yeah (laughs) oh my goodness so basically she is an inside trader, or she's giving information about the country to the dutch who are german i'm not sure what they are did she refer to them as hans gruber from die die hard (laughs) like she kept calling them some sort of (laughs) nickname that's funny <laughs> I and I didn't know if that was a
2: catch.
1: That
0: yeah, she kept calling them Hans, but not Hans Gruber. But you almost got the feeling she was calling them not by their real name, but by a diehard name. I don't know. Maybe I was reading too much into but they, it. But
2: they—they turned out to be
0: Interpol agents, right? Okay. Before we get there, yes, I do have a question about that. Uh, and Doug, I did interrupt your earlier point about Julianne's castings. Go ahead. I, I
2: didn't mean to do that. No, I was just gonna say she's an attractive lady, but I don't buy her in this kind of role. Uh, who they else better.
0: could they've cast? Sandra Bullock might have been a better cast ironically back then.
2: <laughs> at that time, at that time, yeah. Kind of I that mean, goofy... Sharon Stone was a good fit in The Specialist.
0: But... Yeah, she was actually you know, this film, okay, the the chemistry between Robert Rath and Electra versus Stallone's character in The Specialist and Sharon Stone, it's night and day. Mm-hmm. Their chemistry in The Specialist now in comparison to Assassins, it's like Rocky and Adrian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There is no chemistry between Julianne Moore's character and Stallone's character. And I don't know if that was on screen was the issue or how the characters were written or both. But the chemistry is horrible. But there's a scene in the film where at the motel, there's supposed to be sexual tension because there's only one bed. And mm-hmm. we both can't sleep in the same bed. But And Stallone's character goes to the bathroom. And he's kind of like pacing back and forth in the bathroom. Like You can tell that he's got that feeling like oh, this girl's pretty in this one room, but I'm going to be a gentleman. And so he goes back and sleeps on the floor, but he's got the little smirk on his face. That, oh, that girl in that bed sure is cute, and I've got feelings for her.
2: There's no indication that there's any romantic interaction between them at all
0: until that scene. We get the feeling, to, but um, there's no payoff to that. Well, there is a little bit because remember later in the movie when they're in whatever European city for the <laughs> final sequence. European?
1: No, it's well, like what was this America. America? Whatever. You don't. The flamingo music didn't give
0: it away. The uh, I guess so. lost in, Salone so between ninety five and two thousand two. All of his films took place outside of some. You know, they always end up in some sort of South American, Italy, weird country. Anyways, well, so, you know, he
1: probably wanted to enjoy the scenery while he was filming.
0: Probably fifteen million dollars, and he gets to travel to South America. Sure, why not? Remember that scene, anyways, in the hotel where he's talking to Julianne Moore because uh, he thinks she's on the balcony for the Day of the Dead ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And she's not there, but he has that whole conversation. Like, Oh I yeah, never, yeah. I never really felt no ways about nobody's yeah. until I met you. And now I don't want to be assessed anymore. See, cause yeah. I met you.
2: Shockingly. I f- I totally forgot about that scene.
0: We <laughs> saw so there was indication, but he's a like, lecture. Where are you? Electra. <laughs> I know this is a hard movie to get through, but there's a few scenes we got to really, really talk about. One is I was legit confused. And maybe you guys can't, you can help me or not help me, but the chess playing on, on the computer, what did Miguel mean by the rook takes the pawn or how was that connected? What did that mean? What's the background on that?
1: And they were playing, it was time stamped or dated 1980. So they were recreating a game that was played 15 years earlier. So did it it somehow tie into Nikolai?
2: It wasn't supposed to be him him and Nikolai playing. It was one game that they've been playing for 15 years. like you make one one move every six months i don't know
0: man if you guys do that with me i'm allowing you to win in five moves because that's boring
1: yeah i legitimately thought i had missed something when he started playing the chess game well i'll tell you what i missed i missed two
0: hours and 15 minutes of my life that i'd never had to get back <laughs> that,
2: was, that was another thing it was it was like a like a shoehorned in thing like a trope that had no setup and no payoff
0: it's a question I wrote down to ask you guys, because you guys are pretty good about catching plot points that I miss, and you both have failed me on this.
2: <laughs> Look, Ryan, if you're looking for us to catch, like, minute plot points, this isn't the movie to do it.
0: Did you notice the uh, Richard Donner, apparently he has this, he's anti-fur, he's anti-NRA, he's anti-anti-abortion, he's pro-choice. Okay. So did you catch all that? So there was an anti-NRA on the bus. Julianne Moore's character spray paint on the fur-wearing woman in the elevator. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Richard Donner edition. And then lastly, there was a waitress at the bar, at the bistro at the end of the film, where she was wearing a uh, pro-choice. Uh, actually, was no, so it was pro-life. Yeah, It's a pro-life shirt. So he's anti-gun, anti-fur, and anti-abortion is Richard Donner. But he's allowed to be, but he put that in his film throughout the film.
1: This leads me to ask a question is, was Electra's cat like an emotional support cat? Yes, okay.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's no, a okay. kind way of saying that she's crazy. crazy cat lady she needs to, yeah, she's a crazy cat lady. In five more years, she'll have five more cats.
1: But she's also like the most careless pet owner. It's not that hard to hold on to the big, huge carrying case that your cat's in.
0: It's supposed to play not for I guess for last a little bit like, oh, she's silly. She's trying to grab her cat in the midst of a, like, a gunfight. Did you, did you guys laugh at any point during this film where you thought something was clever or funny?
1: Not intentionally. I might have laughed at the stupidity of something.
2: Yeah, some of the irony, ironic funny parts. Another really head-scratching part is, are we still in the hotel right now? Sure. <laughs> Rath goes into the boiler room on some maintenance computer and does what?
0: I actually oh. understood this a little bit. I think I understood this a little bit. I got this. All right. He's gone to the maintenance computer because he called... <laughs> I guess he figured that the maintenance crew has access to the hotel's computer system. What he did was, is he got that fake electrical outage, so the maintenance guy had to stop his banana lunch break, and then Robert Rath eats the guy's banana when he's at the desk. So he's at the computer, and what he's looking for, he's looking for people who have rented out more than one room. Because he figures if you rent out more than one room during this transaction of secret files on a computer, you got the guys who are in one room, like as a troop, with all their separate rooms, and the, and then you got as Julianne Moore's character did have, she had a room where she was operating, and another room where she was receiving the funds via her little remote control car in the air ducts. Robert Rath knew that in order for Electra to carry out this secret deal, she would need to have more than one room. Lo and behold, he figured it out, and I guess he figured it out through the cat something about cats because the tuna fish tuna
1: fish. That's right. Because nobody like would, tuna would order tuna fish at a hotel unless they were feeding it to their cat, even though it had mayo and it. Uh, uh,
2: no. That, well,
1: Doug, that, <laughs> no, that's
0: thanks. the answer. That's, how, that's, that's why he was on the computer. Okay.
2: You know how they have the internet movie firearms database to look up guns and a car database to look up cars? I want a database where you can look up the tech from these old movies, because <laughs> I love all this. Like, that computer with, like, the black screen and the green, like, type <laughs> I love the tech in all these movies.
1: You know what the sad thing is, Doug, is that hotel probably still is running that same shitty 1995 software <laughs> because they haven't had a reason to replace it yet. And if it if works, it still works. Fix it.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Julianne's more character. She's living in some sort of electro. She's living in an apartment complex and she has put cameras in everyone's hotel and she's watching, or sorry, everyone's apartment room. So she's watching her apartment complex the way you would like creeps in everyone's personal life, like a soap opera. Yeah. Watching people fight, watching people make love, watch people eat their supper, watch people shower. Can we talk about this for a second? Is this highly inappropriate or is this just me?
1: It instantly makes her an unsympathetic character. She's breaking the first rule of being a neighbor, right? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well yeah, you're right, you're right Craig. It it doesn't make me like her, but it's played, the way they try to play it in the film, you know, there's a boyfriend and the girlfriend, they're fighting and she's watching this fight. She's invested in their relationship the way you would be when you watch a reality show like Survivor, Big Brother or or, or The Bachelor. She's watching this relationship on her TV, she's like rooting for them to work things out. We're supposed to look at her as a sympathetic character. Like, oh, she cares about these people that she's spying on. It's insanity to me. What she does for a living, what she does when, where she lives, how she acts with people. There's nothing about her that's funny, adorable, or likable.
1: If she was antisocial, she was doing this or watching her neighbors to make some kind of connection, But they also establish that she's got a pretty good relationship with her neighbors. She knows them. They talk to each other. So it's not even like she's this sheltered person who is just trying to make a human connection. She's already made that in-person or that physical connection with her neighbors. So that makes the spying even more terrible.
0: (laughs) Those who have seen the movie know exactly what we're talking about. When Miguel comes to the apartment to kill... As well, he's been given the task to kill Electra as well. Go figure. So the same person that hired Robert Rath and Miguel to kill the billionaire has hired both of them again,
1: unbeknownst to the other person,
0: to kill Electra.
1: It's like a trifecta, though. You know, you have to get the disc, you have to kill the Dutchman, and then you have to kill Electra so I'm telling you, if you watch this movie as like a pro wrestling match, mm-hmm. a lot of the bullshit makes sense. And then,
0: yeah, well, it doesn't. So Miguel gets to the apartment, though. This is what's so dumb about this movie, another incident where this is dumb. Miguel gets to the apartment to kill Elektra, that he knows she's female. Mm-hmm. He mistakes the girlfriend as Electra because he keeps saying, where's the disc? Give me the disc.
1: Just who the hell do you think? Surprise. Uh, the disc. Uh, the disc. Uh, hey, wait, 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 wait. Uh,
0: and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I disc. I'm just. I just happen to live in the same apartment that your Mark lives in. So Miguel kills an innocent woman, which I, I know it's no problem for him. If she just said, "Oh, the disc is in uh, the disc is in my apartment," and then he kills her anyways, he thinks he's killed Electra. He doesn't even have a physical. What kind of assassin doesn't have the identification of what your target
1: looks like? And he had already killed the boyfriend as well. So before he
2: even gets inside the apartment. I hate, I hate when movies do this, where he's touching all the hoods of the cars and he's narrating what he's doing. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I
2: hate when people in movies do that. And he does it throughout the entire movie.
1: Yeah, they're not giving the viewer the benefit of the doubt that they're intelligent no. enough yeah. or observant enough to figure it out. Yeah, they're they're that us because
0: we're dummies. <laughs> Stallone's character, Robert Rath, did that in this film as well. He narrated what he was looking for. He said, I'm going to retire. after." He had these conversations with himself. I never talked to myself like that in private.
2: No, nobody and, does.
0: And he's talking to himself for us to hear his inner thoughts. Mm-hmm. And again, Miguel's character does the same thing. Miguel touching the hood of the car. I wrote the exact same thing down, Doug. You got took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> this car is cold. Yeah. This, por- <laughs> this porch is too cold. This porch is too hot. This porch <laughs> is just right. Why does it even matter? Uh, I I think he thinks that they've arrived there sooner than later. So that's why he saw that it was apartment 202 because the car that got there had just arrived. So he knew that, again, it's the taxi cab syndrome. This weird ability to narrow down mm -hmm. a million scenarios that the person I'm hired to kill lives in apartment 202 because this car's hood is hot. That's essentially what happened.
2: Because no other car just pulled up to their apartment. But that's exactly what happened. It was somebody else's car. But he touches two. He says, cold, cold. And he finds one that's warm. He goes, hot. So that's where you live. Like, oh,
0: God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about now where Robert Rath has the file that he's going to hand over to whoever he's going to hand it over to. They do this computer swap in public. Oh, this is the whole monorail sequence, right? That's right. So it's before the um, monorail. Yeah, the monorail sequence. That's right. So he, he, oh yeah, before the monorail sequence, he's on the monorail and he jumps out in the middle of the transit. Did you, why couldn't
1: sure. he get off at the next stop and walk and, by? The old man on the monorail was like an agent of some kind, right? Is that what he was?
2: I don't know. It's never detailed.
1: The way <laughs> the old man reacts away. makes you think that he nope. was. This is a part where they could have spelled it out
0: for us because it was completely... They spelled out things with. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't sell things where they should have. So I'm confused as a viewer what's going on. But I know their inner thoughts about retiring and what cars are hot or cold. But they don't tell me why this old man, because I wrote this down, old man with a cell phone. I think he's just saying to the cops. He's just calling the cops.
1: This is a guy that just jumped out of the uh, the train. See something, say something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and maybe it was Robert Rath being an aware assassin. It's
2: like overly hyper aware. That know. makes sense. I don't know. The one scene that I really like in this movie is that explosion scene where Miguel turns the table over and uses that as a shield and he gets blown out the window. Actually, I legitimately like that part.
1: Can we we talk about the directing of this movie? Because you just reminded me of how atrocious some of this movie is shot. (laughs) And with that 1990s slow motion that they love to do. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. It was really cool to see. The the concept of the scene was cool, but I think the execution was was poor. Um, The blocking was weird. The amount of time it took for things to happen was weird.
2: The classic slow motion jump out of the way of the bullets. (laughs) Robert Rath jump.
1: It seemed like Robert and Electra ended up together when they were previously pretty far apart prior to that explosion. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the explosion in the apartment with the gas. Classic, classic lighting the gas on fire.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Richard Donner loved doing that. He did it through his Lethal Weapon film. So why not in Assassin's? sure okay well let's we're getting near the end of the film here because now we see whoever's been hiring miguel and robert rath together has now hired miguel to kill robert rath and there's the best scene in the whole movie it's my favorite one of my favorite <laughs> gifts is antonio gets the or miguel gets the indication he is to kill his mentor or not his mentor but his hero his assassin hero and he does that <laughs> how sweet it is how sweet like he's so excited that he gets to officially is this kill. when he's in the bathtub no he's sitting no. down uh no this isn't the bathtub but he does that same type of behavior in the <laughs> bathtub as well yeah and he's like yeah, yeah he's typing
2: like this No, oh, one hand one hand typing oh. perfect grammar cap, caps locks and everything at the beginning of the sentences punctuation with but one hand
1: this is where we also get the reveal that the disc or the computer that Robert was supposed to exchange for some money ended up not having the right information. Like Electra had done a swap out. So all these guys did was confirm that there was information on the disc. They didn't validate it any, any other way. It was like, well, it's not an empty disc. It's got information on it. So that's gotta be it.
2: Yeah. How do you do that? (laughs) He opened his computer to show that it had something on it. Right. Yeah. But he himself didn't even know that it was fake. Because that, that money briefcase blew up, <laughs> yeah. and he thought he turned over the disc, so he had no money, and he had no leverage because he thought he turned over the disc. But then yeah. she reveals, ha-ha, I sw- swapped the disc, so so what they got was nothing.
0: Universe crossover. Ray Quick for the specialist made that briefcase bomb.
1: Well, no, I don't <laughs> think Ray Quick would have made it detectable by uh, radio oh, frequency.
0: that's right. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was James Wood's character. <laughs> the end sequence where... Uh, Robert Rath is getting the funds at whatever. Whatever the funds were given, $20 million was given to him to do this exchange and the bank was taking forever and there's a whole
1: sequence where he-, well, well, he basically does the transfer and then closes the account immediately which I'm sure from a bank perspective there's a lot of things that need to happen in order to do a $20 million transfer but then also close out an account and pay somebody.
0: Sure, and that might be legit, the timeline on how long it takes. They do this on purpose because they want to literally sweat out or make Miguel sweat and wait. This whole idea of romanticizing that Miguel is going to stay in the window and shoot Robert Rath for the same window that Robert Rath used earlier in the film in a flashback sequence where he shot his mentor and friend, Nikolai, why did Robert Roth automatically just assume that Miguel would fall for this, that this would be something that he needs to do?
1: Well, especially if Miguel was such a student of Robert Rath's history, mm-hmm. it, wouldn't he have known all of the details surrounding how long it took, how long he waited, the fact that he went down to the bank to check? If he was such a student of the history of Robert Rath, he wouldn't fall for some of this sh-
2: <laughs> He was also pretty sure that he wouldn't shoot him until... He, he saw his see eyes. See, he he put a lot of faith in that theory. Why did he just
0: wear like a low brim hat or sunglasses when he walks out of the bank? There's gotta be other
1: egress points out of the bank, too, right?
0: Yeah. So the plan was, of course, that when Miguel got tired of waiting, he was gonna come out to see what is taking so long in the bank, go to the bank confront Robert Rath, you know, in public, which they can't be a shootout in public because there's bank guards there, of course, which I don't understand. This guy just, like, karate-chopped his way out of a police car, but he can't take care of a bank security guard. <laughs> he could have literally just walked into the bank with his gun, shot Robert Rath, shot the security guard, and walked out. That's all he had to do. This is the same guy that took out six cops to begin the film, can't take out one security guard inside of a bank. The idea was is that when Miguel comes to the bank, Electra was going to go back to the loft, And grab the assassination rifle. So when Miguel goes back to assassinate, Robert Rath walking out of the bank, lo and behold, he has no more gun. Electra, of course, screws that up. She gets caught herself. Miguel comes back. And then they have their end sequence shootout, discussion, (laughs) cat and mouse chase inside of this burnt-out chapel hotel or whatever this thing is.
1: Well, the hotel had been out of operation for a couple of years. It had shut down, and nobody wanted to buy it and and renovate it. That hotel, every floor was made out of
0: styrofoam.
1: Everyone kept falling through everything. Did it close immediately after Stallone shot Nikolai? And then Mm -hmm. how long does it take for a building to... Reduced structurally, uh, like
2: more than fifteen years, I think.
1: That <laughs> and that's thing... assuming that
2: they closed the day
0: after yeah. he. Sh- the uh, building was functional after it was only shut down for
2: eight years because of the fire. Oh, there was oh. a fire. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't pick
1: that up. Me and Doug both must have tuned out at the same exact time when that. Yeah. <laughs> when that guy was explaining why the hotel wasn't operational anymore, it was because
0: of a fire. It was eight years of fi- a fire eight years ago, and this is South America. They take their time in renovating stuff around there, I guess. And when um, Rath is
2: walking her through the hotel showing it to her, I couldn't focus on anything but how much he was sweating.
0: Yes, there's a lot of sweating. Is a this real sweat?
2: Point. Are they sweating for real in this on location shoot? I wondered that myself because she in the cemetery, when she's walking around the cemetery, she's sweating. Obviously, Miguel's sweating the whole time he's in the loft waiting.
0: Have you guys ever been to South America? No. It's hot. i these countries. When you step off, you're sweating. So it's legit if they're running around working, just working. The sweat would have could have just as easily been legit. I can't imagine they would have had to overdo it with a lot of the scenes. It's probably right. very hot. And speaking of which, can we talk about Antonio Banderas's acting? Losing his mind waiting in the tower. Yeah, yeah, he yeah he got so mad because he had to pee in a bottle. This guy is an assassin.
1: <laughs> Should be patient.
0: His job is to be patient to wait. To seek out his mark. And like, I don't even I'm not even an assassin, and I know what it's like to be an assassin. Like this guy who's apparently studied from the best, seems to be a pretty good assassin. He's being hired by some top-notch people, but he's panicking having to wait five hours in one room. Any thoughts on that? No thoughts. Case closed. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan. Great closing arguments there. Let's talk about the very end sequence. So Nikolai comes out of the shadows. So okay, so Robert Rath and Miguel have a big shootout. Big, and they're about to kill each other or whatever. Miguel's out for the count, he's not dead. And the big reveal happens where someone says from the shadows, that's no way to talk to a lady, but it's a male's voice. The man comes out, it's Nikolai, the man that Robert Rath was hired to kill and he betrayed at the beginning of the film When flashbacks. They would find out they were partners or friends or both. Throw it
3: away. Throw it away. That was no way to talk to a lady. Nikolai.
1: this film had gained any goodwill leading up to it it would have lost it it had no good goodwill to give up so it just made the face palm twice as hard because it's just it's complete nonsense and it takes away any kind of character work that they had done trying to build up Robert Rath by saying, oh, this guy he thought he killed 15 years ago, he's not really dead. But you know what? He's going to be dead in four seconds anyway, so none of it matters. And I did love how Robert Rath goes,
0: 15 years, man. 15 years you thought, you made me think I killed you, but you were alive the whole time. I've had to carry this guilt for 15 years. Uh, And Nikolai then said, dude, you thought you killed me. You tried to kill me. I've...
3: That's been a long time, my friend. The years have been good to you, Robert.
2: He killed you, 15 years ago. He
3: killed you. Yes, he did.
2: I don't understand. Walking
3: out of that bank was the worst moment of my life. He always went for the heart. Predictable. Fifteen years. Fifteen goddamn years. You let me think I killed you. Son of a bitch. You're forgetting you shot me. You son of a bitch.
0: In fact, I'll say right now, the best character in the whole film is Nikolai. (laughs) He's the only one that made sense. He got betrayed by Robert Rath at the beginning of the film, got shot by his buddy, and he was wearing a bulletproof vest, so that's how he survived the assassination attempt, went into hiding, planned out this grand revenge scheme, messed with Robert Rath's life for a little bit. He basically catfished Robert Rath,
2: and... (laughs) Exactly what he did, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Why did you set me up? A- the Cold War was ending. I needed to die. To leave no past behind. You delivered me. You must be the mark.
0: You must be the contractor.
3: I'm disappointed, Robert. You were supposed to kill her. You thief. A good one.
0: I'm retired.
3: You were so good. I had to use both my best to track you down.
0: So there's something on that disc that would bring you back to life?
3: Enough information to expose us all, especially me. Why can't you two just kiss and make up? This is sad for me, Robert. Sentimental, but I did not want to
0: find you alive. I'll ask this question to you guys. There was a small, because I, I hadn't seen this movie in 23 years. So I actually forgot the twist. I actually forgot uh, a lot of stuff. Like i for, I put this out of my memory for a lot of reasons, I guess. I, so I forgot the whole movie, essentially. One thing I did forget, and I actually was genuinely disappointed, because there's a part of me, because this is a Richard Donner film, this is 1995, there was a small part of me that thought, and or considered, had this movie done well, they could have done Assassin's Part 2 with Miguel and Robert Rath, literally as assassin partners, kind of a love-hate relationship, almost like an assassin comedy duo. There was a point in the film, you know where I'm going with this, there was a point in the film where they shook hands and made up. Mm -hmm. where they were going to let each other be. And I actually thought to myself, that would actually be a good way to end, that they actually both leave.
3: Thank you. So, now what? I'm finished, kid. What do you mean finished? The history stops here. No more. I'm gone.
1: I quit. That that would make me number one. Mm -hmm. Number one. (laughs)
3: Can live with that, can you? Absolutely, compañero. To live with it, Miguel. Live with it. It was very nice meeting you, Robert Roth.
1: It was very dangerous
2: meeting you, Miguel Pei. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a mutual respect there. Yes.
0: That, that actually would have saved the film some sort of decorum of like, okay, at least that ending was a little bit original. That the two guys that were like this, the whole film, They worked together at the end, killed the Nikolai guy Mm -hmm. who's been effing them over this whole film. And they shake hands and say, you know what? You're number one. I don't want it anymore. And they stuck with that. And Miguel goes, I'm number one. I get to be number one. And then that's it.
1: Yeah. But then they had to go through the pro wrestling handbook and do the cliche double heel turn. You know, Miguel turns face. But then he says, "Uh "Uh-uh, I'm going to turn heel again. Yes, exactly. It was like.
0: we didn't even make it to Saturday night's main event before he went face, went heel, went—you know—the
2: <laughs> turn was qu- too quick. You know, as long as you are out there, I'll never be number one. So, want say goodbye, Bobby? Huh?
1: No goodbyes. Goodbye, Miguel.
0: Ah, I was legit disappointed. I was like, no, that's so cliche. And then he shoots him behind his jacket, and, him and- he
2: sees the reflection in her sunglasses. Uh, uh. <laughs>
0: They go to walk off together to spend 20000000 million. They're like, oh, before we go, don't forget the money. She grabs the briefcase, and then the movie ends. Can I say
2: one more thing that annoyed me to no end in this?
0: Uh, Yeah, please. If we've missed anything, let's go ahead and say those
2: things. The whole her smelling like jasmine thing. Oh, yeah. Because he smelled her perfume in her apartment. And then he smells jasmine in the cemetery, which makes him think that she's there because she's the only person in the world that wears jasmine scented perfume and then he finds a, a jasmine plant and he's like oh there's jasmine everywhere of course he's he's narrating as he's doing it because we're right. idiots and then at the end he's about to shoot wrath R- he sniff and he turns his head and he goes jasmine <laughs> which <laughs> stalled him enough for her to intervene before he was able to kill robert wrath but the fact that he has to keep saying jasmine to let us know <laughs> that yes he, he understands
0: does anyone know what jasmine smells like i gotta go smell some no so we're losing Craig. He's done with this film. He is done. Holy smokes. Well, okay.
1: You have to wonder how much of the budget went to paying for the rights to use Rolling Stones music at the beginning and the end.
0: Well, I thought the song at the end was a cover. It was a Stones song, but it was a cover, wasn't it? It
1: was like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan.
0: Yeah. yeah. Done by
1: the Stones. But I mean... No, okay, that's right. The Stones yeah. were... There was never a, a point where the Stones weren't the effing Rolling Stones. I mean... It can't be cheap to use Rolling Stones music in a movie.
0: No, I don't think. I don't. I think it's like ten to fifty thousand dollars for a song. It's not cheap. Let's talk about some wow. side note trivia stuff. Mel Gibson was initially wanting to direct this film. If you can believe it, I
1: kind of wish he had. I agree.
0: Richard Donner felt that Stallone and Antonio Banderas it would have been a better film had the actress switched roles. Cool. That, that doesn't even make sense. No, I agree. I knew that trivia before I saw the film for the second time. I tried to picture Sloan being the really, really kind of the bad guy. The student it doesn't make sense. No. No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the same cat that's in this movie is the same cat for The
2: Specialist. Oh, is it? Yeah. That's actually interesting. <laughs> there we go. That's the, the universe one- crossover. That's the universe crossover. I told you. And what would what he call the... The cat, Timer. The cat was Timer, right? Yeah.
0: In this movie, the cat was called? <laughs> Pearl. That's right. Good job.
1: Why didn't she bring the cat to South America? I don't know. Was it quarantine laws? Or, I mean, did they legally enter the country? <laughs> she brought the cat to down the street for the transaction with the Dutchman. You'd think, like, even the cat plot point doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, Well, okay, yeah, we're done with the plot. Uh, <laughs> Ke- uh, Kevin Bacon, Tom Cruise, Johnny Depp, Woody Harrelson, and Wesley Snipes were all considered for the role of Miguel at some point. Can you run through that list again? Kevin Bacon, Tom Cruise, which, interesting enough, Tom Cruise did play a hitman later. What was that collateral. movie by Michael Mann?
2: Collateral Damage?
0: That's right. was that no, no. no. Collateral. Yep. Oh, collateral. So Tom Cruise did play a hitman. So I, I, it's interesting that Tom Cruise was considered for this role, so he may have had that bug in his ear to play that type of character, but did it in a much better film called Collateral. Let's just say Collateral is a great film. Directed by Michael Mann. Fox is in J.B. it. Jamie Fox, yeah.
1: Well, Woody Harrelson? Woody Harrelson, which I could have seen. I could see that. I think that would have actually been really cool. Mm-hmm. I think and that's a role that, that Woody would have run with. And check this out. And Wesley Snipes. It would have been Demolition Man Redux. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's probably why they didn't do it.
0: And Johnny Depp, which again Johnny Depp's—he's irritating, but he's a good actor, and he would have played a kind of a good kooky, crazy guy. But they went with Antonio, or that's the one who took it.
2: His star was was near its peak at that time, right? So
0: I think he was kind of a rising star. He wasn't quite—he was getting there because he did have some of those uh, Robert Rodriguez films under his. I knew who he was
1: when he was in this film back in '95, so I did know who he was. When did Philadelphia come out with Tom Hanks? '91 or his two? Boyfriend in Philadelphia.
0: That's right, so I I stepped on you there. So you said, yeah, he was Tom Hanks' boyfriend in that film. That's right, I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We know there was a bit of a reunion with Antonio Banderas and Stallone and the Mel Gibson connection in a weird way for Expendables Part 3. Antonio is one of the, him and Wesley are the two reasons to watch Expendables 3, right? Oh, I love that film. Side
1: note, Antonio Banderas and Stallone became good friends after this film. Hmm. I could see Stallone being a really good friend or mentor to somebody like Antonio Mandaris, who's sort of on his way up in Hollywood. I'd imagine that the conversations and the advice that a Stallone could give to a young actor that's sort of in the same lane as Sly. I'm sure there were some priceless jewels of wisdom that Stallone imparted on Antonio. Oh, probably.
0: Well, any final thoughts, guys? Wanted to say, say who you are, from what shows you hail from, and we'll close this uh, behemoth. <laughs>
2: Uh, Alright, I'll go. Uh, sure. I'm Doug from Rocky Minute. Uh, it's a podcast where we cover the movie Rocky, and we're currently in Rocky 2, one minute at a time. Find us on a uh, podcatcher of your choice. Catch up. We have 118 episodes in Season 1, and we're into uh, week... Uh, we just wrapped up week 2 of Season We're having a lot of fun over there.
0: Yeah, you guys are awesome. And I'm Ryan from the Going the Distance, the Rocky Series podcast. We're currently in Season 4, where we're covering Rocky 4... We also throughout our show have interviews and side episodes like this one that you're listening to now via our channel. Can't say enough good things about Doug and Rocky Minute. Check them out. And, of course, Craig, the uh, godfather of the Sly podcasting community, Craig and uh, Slycast. But I just wanted to say I love you guys. So go ahead. Uh, That's awesome.
1: <laughs> we love you too. Yeah, Slycast, we're slowly working our way through the Lone's filmography, film by film. We're next going to cover Judge Dredd. Hopefully it's within the next two months. It's kind of hard to get that whole gang together. Everybody's so popular in their side ventures. Mike Kunda has just blown up the way I knew he was gonna, because that guy is so passionate and so talented and just so dedicated to what he's doing with his film tour and the pretender documentary now that's cleaning up at film festivals. So yeah, I can't wait to see it. Jeff Ferry's got his own sort of Kevin Smith, Minute going on, so they're doing mall rats currently. And then my uh Jeff, the other Jeff, Jeff Hewlett, has the whole tricorder transmission network going on, so everybody's keeping busy. But we're going to be doing Judge Dread next, and uh, looking forward to it. And, uh, Slycast has been a lot of fun. And Ryan, I do want to say at the beginning of the episode, I said I hated you, but you know what, working our way through this film wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, so hate's too strong of a word. Aww, you know,
0: thanks, man. At least I we had fun it. with it. Oh, of course. But the problem with this film, I think it's, and just to tie it up here, is it's not as bad as The Specialist. So it's it's that fine line between it's trying to be a a decent film, but it fails at being a decent film. But it's not silly like The Specialist was, or over the top like James Woods' character was. And Mm. the characters were annoying. I didn't know what was going on. So it actually ended up just being a bad film. But it's not so bad that it's good bad. It's just a bad film.
1: I would watch The Specialist again probably this year if I had the chance and and that's not the case with Assassins.
0: Unless I review this movie again in the next 23 years, I don't think I'm going to watch it again in the next 23 years. So the, so those who are listening to this right now in their earbuds are sort of the Rocky Minute Podcast, the Going the Distance Podcast or Slycast. So I just want to say, if you're, find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook because we will be putting out again to the public our votes, our choices for you guys to vote on. If you want to join us in the next one, just uh, join our social media, is what I'm saying, so you can know when that is and you can join the discussion. So we want to thank those who listen live and also uh, who are listening now in your earbuds at home. And
1: then also, this is also going to be on the YouTube channel archives. If you yeah. do want to go back and look at our our mugs. Um, <laughs> it's there forever. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, we've got uh, yeah
0: on the uh, on the channel, on the pod, it's called the Sylvester Stallone Podcast Network. Find us on YouTube. And right now we have this one. Specialists and cops. So we got three in the can, boys. All right.
2: Hey, Craig, we had, uh, we struggled a little bit the other night when we were recording for Rocky Minute about what this <laughs> channel was called.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the that Sylvester was- Sloan Podcast Network. Find it on YouTube. Like and subscribe so you'll see when uh, live notifications will come on your phone when we go live too. All right, guys. Take
3: care. Bye just the grease from your finger the rolling the balls on the inside its the same idea as my finger comes close it automatically senses my finger approaching so
2: i can just go in here and
0: touch it and i'm just pointing with my finger which theoretically is the most natural thing to do Dust. after a while it starts
3: slipping exactly yeah. it starts to plug it up and it's big it is large so if you take a look at the size it's pretty big and and here you can see it and if we take a look at it on a side you can see it's extremely thin
0: mm-hmm. stick it inside the slot here like that okay there here go. we go and shove it
2: all in